church it is great to be with you thank you um i did want to just tag on we don't have the nursery room but if you are looking for an escape for you and your little one there is a nursing mom's room downstairs which you could make use of um because i'm not preaching a short sermon today surprisingly you know uh please turn your bibles to john chapter 14 John 14, as you do, I want to thank you uh, for your many prayers last week when I was sick. Uh, I think I died Friday night, and your prayers helped to resurrect me over the weekend, so thank you. It was miraculous. I am, I am fit and better again. Also, thank you for your prayers uh, to our trip to Canada a couple weeks ago, where I was able to minister to one of our sister churches up there. Uh, I felt the grace of God in that ministry to the leadership team there. I uh, taught a Saturday seminar in biblical counseling, preached on Sunday morning. Uh, so it was a fruitful time, and my family connected so well with the families of that church church. Um, it's always nice when, when you're just you know, bombarded with people asking you, when are you coming back? Um, if they don't ask you that, then, then that sends a signal as well. And so I was glad that we were asked to come back and, uh, by many people. And um, my girls already have like some pen pal friends that they made. And so it was just a rich time. And and then we went on up into Canada and did a family vacation, uh, which was wonderful. Uh, one memorable experience I'll share with you because you would particularly appreciate it. Uh, we visited this, um, this little Baptist church, uh, historic Baptist church in downtown Quebec City. And uh, it was one of the only English-speaking churches we could find. And they, um, and after the service, we're stand, I'm standing there with a couple of the kids. And uh, I'm talking to this middle-aged woman and this, this elderly woman of the church. And, uh, and in conversation, it comes out that I'm a, I'm a pastor back in the States. And this middle-aged woman looks at me and she goes, oh, I thought you looked like a pastor. And so I'm kind of like, oh, thank you. Uh, but then the elderly lady kind of looks me down, fixates on my white shoes that I'm still wearing this morning. And she looks back up and at the other lady and she goes, in those runners... <laughs> So I kind of was like, mm, you know, <laughs> and then she looks at me and she goes, I guess you pastors wear anything now these days, don't you? <laughs> don't put her on the greeter and usher team at that church. Um, speaks her mind. Uh, besides that, she was a delightful woman to speak to, but I thought you would appreciate that. <clears throat> All right. Um, Today, we are continuing our study through the doctrines that defined us, and as Bert mentioned, we are continuing a study of the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, His person and His work. And so if you're taking notes, the sermon title is The Helper. Uh, in Sovereign Grace Churches, we are committed and accountable to not only a statement of faith, but also seven key convictions. We call them our seven shared values. They characterize our churches and unify our ministries. The most important and the priority value is that we are gospel-centered. We are gospel-centered, which means that all that we do, all that we sing, all that we preach about is centered around and informed by the saving work of Jesus Christ. So we are a gospel-centered denomination, gospel-centered church. However, another one of the seven shared values is that we hold to, uh, big words, continuationist pneumatology. 
Continuationist pneumatology. Bonus points if any kid writes that in their notes and spells both words right. Uh, there's probably like a candy bar involved for that. So a continuationist pneumatology. This is the subject Bert did just an excellent job preaching on last week. But in case you miss it, let me catch you up. Pneumatology, big theological word, just means the knowledge of or the study of the Holy Spirit. And continuationist expresses our belief that the gifts of the Holy Spirit have not ceased but continue to this day and will continue until Christ returns. Uh, We believe this because there are no texts anywhere in the New Testament that would lead us to believe otherwise. Uh, To the contrary, actually, uh, for instance, 1 Corinthians 14.1 commands us, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Which, uh, by the way, if you are newer here, uh, you've probably noticed the mic that we have down up front, and sometimes, like this morning, someone comes down and shares in that mic. Um, What this is, we call this the ministry mic, and the purpose of it is so that we can practice the spiritual gifts in the congregation, in the context of the congregation. So, If someone has an impression that they believe is from God, maybe a prophetic sense or a word of knowledge or a lesson or even a tongue, if it is to be interpreted, they come down, they share with a pastor because it's overseen by the pastors. And if he approves, if his spirit agrees, then then we're able to share with the church. We're able to practice what we believe in. Um, If this is all new to you, again, I just wanna highlight Bert's sermon last week. I think it was an excellent introduction to all of this. And also, by way of preview, uh, he and I intend to teach a class, a discipleship class, or maybe some seminars probably more likely, Saturday seminars, later this fall on the topic of desiring the spiritual gifts and practicing the spiritual gifts. Uh, We're going to tag team the class, uh, and so if you're interested in that more, it is coming, and we hope to stir both excitement for and practice of the gifts in our midst. All that to say, we value the gifts of the Spirit here, and yet, as New Testament scholar Edward Clink rightly admonishes, the Spirit must stop being merely a debate over prayer languages and powerful healings and must become the constant reality, individual and corporate, of the Christian life and experience. Mr. Klink is exactly right, and that's what we are truly hungry for here, the Spirit's constant presence, individually and corporately, in our midst. Now, too often discussions about the Holy Spirit are centered around the gifts that He gives. And that is unfortunate because, in reality, the power and the presence of the Spirit informs the whole of the Christian life. There is no Christianity without the Spirit. And it would not be wrong to say that the Christian life is life in the Spirit. Uh, If you are, you would be mistaken to think that the Christian life is largely just a life of faith. In other words, something you confess. It, It is something you confess, but it is then a life experientially lived in the Spirit which is what we want to talk about some this morning. Uh, On the Sovereign Grace website, I love how we describe our value for continuation pneumatology, but in its fuller expression. Uh, So this is on the Sovereign Grace website if you'd like to look it up later and get all these um, references as well. We write, with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, 
God's purpose to dwell among his people entered a new era. We believe the Holy Spirit desires to continually fill each believer with increased power for, create, or for Christian life and witness, including the giving of his supernatural gifts for the building up of the church and for various works of ministry in the world. We are eager to pursue God's active presence in all its breath, that Christ may be magnified in our lives, in the church, and among the nations. I think that is so well put. We Yes, the spiritual gifts, we want those, of course, but we want every believer filled with the Holy Spirit continually, eagerly pursuing God's active presence in all its breath. So, today we are taking up the topic of the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, and John 14 gives us an excellent introduction to the person and work of the Spirit. Now, it it is not an exhaustive teaching. Um, There are many passages we could be looking at this morning, but this is an excellent introduction for us. And it is in one of my favorite sections of Scripture. Uh, John, it's a section that runs from John 13 through 17, or 14 through 17, and is often called the Farewell Discourse. Uh, It's called the Farewell Discourse because it is the last teaching Jesus gave before he was crucified. Um, It takes place just a few hours before he was betrayed and handed over to be tried and crucified. And knowing that it was coming, knowing that this was all, uh, you know, that the the storm clouds were gathering on the horizon, um, he took this opportunity to take his disciples aside and prepare them for life after his departure. That's what the farewell discourse is about. Preparing for life after the departure of Jesus Christ. What is ministry? What does life look like then? And so Jesus is bringing up things that they need to be especially mindful of, like unity amongst the church, amongst Christians. There are many things he wants to highlight for them, but the topic he comes back to again and again and again is the active ministry of the Holy Spirit in the Christian's life. Jesus is leaving, but the Spirit is coming. Jesus is leaving. But the Spirit, the Helper, is coming. So, we're going to look at just one of the passages in this discourse that deals with the Holy Spirit. John 14, verses 15 through 31. So, I invite you to follow along now. Open to the work of the Holy Spirit as I read God's holy and authoritative word. This is Jesus. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you and me, and I in you. 
Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Well, may the Lord bless now the preaching and the believing of his word. I have three points today. Uh, We're going to focus on particularly the work of the Spirit in this passage, so we won't cover every verse, but we'll focus particularly on the work of the Spirit. Three points, three works of the Spirit in our lives, the empowering, He empowers our obedience, He manifests God's presence, and He brings us into peace. So point number one, the Spirit empowers our obedience. In verse 15, Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey me. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Up to this point in John's gospel, uh, Jesus has commanded uh, his disciples uh, to love one another. And he has said what that love would look like. He said that it would look like self-sacrifice and prioritizing the good of others above your own. But in this passage, Jesus explains to us what love for him looks like. That it looks like obedience. When it comes to love, what is prioritized in Scripture is action. When it comes to love, what's prioritized in Scripture is action that is taken. Biblical love is undoubtedly characterized by affections and emotions and warm feelings, but what is preeminent is that biblical love is characterized by visible tangible activity, not just feelings, action taken. And so Jesus explains here that love for him looks like obedience. Uh, he's not saying warm and fuzzies in your heart. He's not saying, you know, it's that sense of like real excitement inside you. He says, if you want to know what love looks like for me, it looks like keeping my commandments. Which means 
not obeying Jesus is tantamount to not loving him. No matter what we feel, no matter what we confess, if we do not obey Jesus, we are not loving Jesus. I think about this with my kids. Uh, If I tell them to go and clean their rooms, and they instead go up to their rooms and sit down and read a book, if I give them an instruction and they choose to disregard that instruction and and do something else, uh, they can confess their love to me um, when I confront them, you know, they can confess their love as they beg for mercy. Um, they, may, they may even feel real warm emotions. Dad, you bought that book. It's one of your favorite books. I love that book. You know, They may feel warm emotions for me in that moment. But if they are disobeying me, there is a very real sense in which they are not loving me. In Matthew 7, Jesus speaks some of the most sobering words in all of Scripture when he warns us, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. You workers of lawlessness. Jesus' teaching is very clear. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Imperfectly, yes. We know this from passages like 1 John 1 and 2, which calls for continual confession and repentance. We will have to repent regularly for how we do not obey perfectly. But a sincere and observable pattern of obeying what Jesus commands is the evidence of actual love for him. So getting that set up, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Understanding that great command, burden, obligation, understanding that, appreciating that, is really what makes the grace of verse 16 come out. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Friends, this is the amazing grace of God, the incredible blessing of our Lord. He commands obedience, but then he informs us that he will provide a helper for us. Jesus commands obedience, but then he says, I'm going to send a helper to strengthen you for obedience, to empower you to obedience, a helper who is the Holy Spirit. And notice that Jesus says the Father will give another helper. It's another helper. Jesus was the first helper as his disciples followed him around and he encouraged them and strengthened them and taught them and instructed them and led them. He was their helper. And Jesus is saying, the Father is going to send you another helper, one of the same kind, equal but different. Which is very comfort to us that we don't have Jesus to actually physically follow around, but we have his spirit, another helper. This word helper here is a good translation 
Uh, but some versions of scriptures in your footnote in your scripture may uh, translate the same word as advocate or comforter or even counselor. And that's because the original Greek word here, uh, paraclete, is a rich word with all kinds of meanings packed into it. And so we can only scratch the surface of, of all that entails there. But I really like how pastor and author Richard Phillips explains it uh, when he writes the following. And this is a, a lengthy quote, but it's the end that pulls, the end will pull it all together for you. So just follow along. He says, in order to understand Jesus' meaning, we must consider the Greek word itself. Jesus describes the Holy Spirit as a paraclete, a word that combines the prefix para, meaning alongside of, with the verb kaleo, meaning to call out. The form of the word is a passive participle. So we might literally describe the Holy Spirit as the one who is called alongside. It is also valid to translate paraclete in terms of the Spirit's action, in which case he would be one who calls from alongside. If we take these two ideas and combine them, we have the basic meaning of Jesus' designation of the Spirit as paraclete. The Spirit is the divine person who is called to our side to continue the ministry that Jesus began, and there at our side, the Spirit calls out to us, in the words of the Puritan John Owen, to support, cherish, relieve, and comfort the church. I think that's a very helpful summary of the word paraclete, of the word helper here. The Holy Spirit comes alongside us to help us, and he calls out from a side of us, in a sense, to help us along the way. Now, this kind of reminds me of, of the times when I've had to talk, teach my children how to ride their bikes without training wheels. Um, you know, a momentous step towards adulthood when you can take those little training wheels off and, and go on the two wheels. Uh, it is hard work, uh, although I'm pretty sure I worked harder than they worked. Uh, as I ran alongside them, you know, trying to keep up, holding on to the handlebars, trying to balance them, and I'm shouting out to the whole time, you're like, you're doing a great job, keep pedaling, good job, whoa, whoa, watch out for the tree, no, back on the road, okay, stay on the sidewalk, here. but that is very much like the work of the paraclete, the helper, coming alongside, shouting out encouragement, shouting out warnings, keeping us balanced, I was able to come alongside and help my kids achieve something that they could not achieve without my assistance. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit. He comes alongside us to help us achieve the very things that we could not achieve without Him. And notice that this is, just like me helping my children uh, alongside them, this is a very experienced reality that we have with the Holy Spirit. I want you to get that. It is an experienced reality uh, Jesus says in verse 17 that the Spirit will dwell with you and He will be in you. So just think about that for a minute. I mean, how often do we go throughout the day or come into church just not thinking about the Holy Spirit? So now is one of those moments where we can. That He is here with us, dwelling with us right now. And if you're a Christian, the Spirit of the living God is in you. Always with you. Always there to help you. Now, I'm sure for many of us, verse 15, the command, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Verse 15 lands with, on us with a certain amount of conviction. 
Because probably it doesn't take much right now for God to start bringing to mind areas of your life where you are living in disobedience. See what I'm doing right here? I'm pausing so that you can hear the Holy Spirit bring to mind those areas. If you're open to the Holy Spirit, they're right in front of your face. If you're only kind of open to the Holy Spirit, they're hovering on the peripheral. And you're afraid to let them come front and center. Now, I'm, I'm slowing down and doing this, not because I in any way want to bring any kind of condemnation. But if you experience an awareness of conviction. I want you to hold that for a minute and just also be aware that that is the Holy Spirit working in your life. It is not just your mind. It is the Spirit who brings conviction. John 16, verse 18. That is the Spirit's touch on you. He is coming alongside you. He is calling out to you. How will you respond? You can ignore, pardon, Push out. Try to keep your head down and keep on going. That is what Scripture describes as grieving the Holy Spirit. Or, you can open yourself to the work of the Spirit in your life. Confess your sin. And let Him remake you. And if you're here today and you have never repented of your sins, you've never confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, well, for you, friend, today can be the day of salvation for you. Today can be the day of salvation if you will turn from your sins and believe in Jesus Christ and receive from Him forgiving grace and redeeming grace and adopting grace and eternal life in Jesus Christ. You can receive right now the Holy Spirit to help you in this life. It's all held out to you. Yours for the taking, if you'll take it by faith. And Christians, we have the Spirit of God in us, strengthening us. We live in dependence on the Spirit to empower us to obey Jesus every day, to grow in grace. Listen, here is the experience you will have in the Christian life if you are growing in grace. You will find that struggling against sin is a struggle. It's not easy. No one cruises into sanctification. 
Now, no one finds sin in their life easy to get rid of, um, unless there's a powerful working of the Holy Spirit, but that is the unusual experience. In you. It is called warfare in scripture for a reason. It is hard, it is painful, it requires you know, spiritual blood, as it were, as Jesus says, you have to cut off your hand and gouge out your ear that causes you to, or gouge out your eye that causes you to, tempt- to temptation. Um, it is hard work, there is often tears and hard struggles and desperate prayers. You will often feel lonely, you will often feel cut off from God, but the truth is you are never alone. You have the helper. You always have help. And what I want you to understand is that willingness on your part to put up the fight, that is the spirit at work in you, empowering you to overcome your sin. Don't think that it's you welling up the strength inside of you. It is not, I assure you. You are weak and flabby, apart from Jesus. But with his spirit, you are given strength. And the fight is the willingness or the awareness that he is there. This is exactly what Paul is talking about in Philippians 2. When he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. In other words, having been saved by grace, you are at work, you are to work out what's been done to you. Work out that grace into the rest of your life. Is it work? Yes. Is it effort? Yes. But that effort present in your life is evidence of God already working in your life. You work because God is at work in you. The helper is dwelling or is drawing you nearer to God. The helper is alongside calling you on towards glory. So take heart in the fight. Take heart in the hard work that is obedience because the spirit is present to empower our obedience. All right, point number two then, the spirit manifests God's presence. The Spirit manifests God's presence. In verse 18, Jesus says that he is leaving them. But he assures them he won't leave them as orphans. Now, he he will not leave them alone. He says he's going to come back to them. He's going to come to them again. Now, in the first place, this this, could be referring to his resurrection, that he's he's going to die, but then he'll come back in his resurrection. Uh, In a greater sense, it probably refers to his second coming, where he comes back to bring them to God and is with them forever. But in the most immediate sense, in the practical sense for them and for us between the cross and the consummation, Jesus is referring to his presence made manifest in by the Spirit that he will be with us and his love will be made manifest to us. This is what Paul refers to in Romans chapter 8 when he writes, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So what Paul's saying here is, Christian, you're not a a slave to sin any longer, but you are adopted as sons of God into his family, and this is evidenced by the Holy Spirit crying out within you, Abba, Father! Listen, were you singing and praising today, and was there a sense in which you, you, you maybe didn't say these words, but there was a sense where you felt oriented to God, and you felt longing for God, and you felt grateful for God, and you felt trust for God. That is the spirit inside of you crying out, Abba, Father. 
His spirit bearing witness with your spirit. This is where assurance of salvation comes from. It is the, theologians call it the internal witness or the internal testimony of the Holy Spirit. His bearing witness with your spirit that you are a child of God. So when do you get that kind of assurance? I'll tell you when. When you act like a child of God. When you act like a child of God. But when you act like a disobedient child of God, his spirit still bears witness to your spirit, but it is fainter. It is harder to hear. I think there is a thing as a assurance of salvation. But if you look, look at passages like 1 John, and you look at Hebrews, it is one that you feel, it is one that you have as you walk in obedience. If you are not walking in obedience, you are not meant to be assured. But as you walk as a child of God, His Spirit bears witness with your spirit, crying out, you are a child of God. This is what Paul is talking about, and this is the kind of life that Jesus is speaking about in verses 19 and 20 in our passage. When we are saved, we're brought out of sin's enslavement and into the family of God. We are saved into the love that the Father and the Son share. And this life and this love that they have, that we are brought into, we are meant to experience it. Again, I highlight, it's an experienced reality. Not just something we believe, but that we experience God's love and His presence made manifest through the Holy Spirit indwelling in us. Again, Paul says something similar, in, in this time in Romans 5, verse 5. He says, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. It's not just demonstrated on the cross, it's also been poured into us. It is the Spirit who makes God's love known and felt. Now, now look with me at verse 22. Here Judas, the disciple Judas, raises a question. And John clarifies, this is Judas, not Iscariot, not the betrayer. So Jesus had two disciples named Judas. Unfortunate for this guy, right? To share names with... The rest of his life, that's what he'd be going to. I'm, I'm Judas, follower of Jesus, not Iscariot, not that guy. Um, it's unfortunate. It's kind of like if you were, it's like being a Democrat named Donald Trump. It's like, <laughs> well, that's unfortunate. Um, or, or I once saw a, uh, an article um, condemning the, the Harry Potter series uh, written by a pastor named Harry Potter. And I just couldn't take his argument seriously, not because he, he probably had great points, but the whole time I was just thinking, this is just Harry Potter. This is Harry Potter who wrote this. How can I take it seriously? Unfortunate name if you're gonna... I would have just written it and then like, had one of my other pastors put his name to it or something like that. Anyway, this is Judas, not Iscariot, and um, John helpfully lets us know, it's not Iscariot, don't be distracted, and he asked Jesus, uh, Jesus, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? You know, how, how, how are we going to we gonna see and know you and your presence, but not the world? I mean, won't they see you walking around? Won't they see you with us? And Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. So he's repeating what he's already said. And he says, and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Now, again, in one sense, I think Jesus is talking about his return, that one day he will bodily return, uh, his second coming, when the dwelling place of God will be with man for eternity, the new heavens and new earth. Um, but in the more immediate, in this age between the cross and that consummation, the guarantee of our hope is the Holy Spirit, Scripture says, manifesting and mediating the presence of God in our lives, that He dwells within us, that we are His home, we are the temple of the living God. 
Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our, the down payment of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So friends, this morning, I already said this, but let me just hit it again. If you felt drawn nearer to God through this service, if you found yourself freshly aware of his love for you, if you found yourself kind of coming in tired, but then waking up during the singing and all of a sudden raising your hands and praising God and thanking God and rejoicing in him, that is the spirit at work in you. That is the spirit at work in our midst. Sometimes you should just do what I do. Look around during the service. Sometimes you may see me doing this and you're thinking, is he like taking attendance? Is he looking to see if I'm here or not? You're like, I'm not. I am looking at the work of the spirit in our midst. That God is moving on people and you can see it. And so I just look around, I'm like, that's God, that's God. Look at what God's doing, that's God. Friends, the Spirit has been at work in our midst today, and we do not want to miss Him. And listen, if you are tempted to think that the Spirit is really only at work, if you know, some words are shared at the ministry mic, or if there's some public and powerful demonstration of the gifts, friends, I just want to inform you, the weakest saint, the weakest saint here this morning who in their heart of hearts quietly feels some fresh budding of the fruit of the Spirit in their life, a little bit of peace coming into their storm. Friends, that's the work of the Spirit. That's pneumatology. That's the Spirit at work in our midst. And it's just as powerful as any other display he might do. Now, I do want to clarify one thing here that might be confusing, potentially confusing in this passage. If you read it carefully, verse 23, you might see a conditional statement here. Jesus says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. If? If I, if I obey Jesus and keep his word, then the father will love me? So, is the Father's love conditional upon my obedience? Well, in some sense, we know that cannot be correct because it would contradict other passages of Scripture that say that we enter into the life and the love of God only through faith in Jesus Christ. We are accepted by Christ. We are loved through Christ. So if, it's, if Jesus is not exactly teaching that, what is he teaching? What is he teaching then? Well, what Jesus is teaching here is that we actually have a, a real-life living relationship with God. A dynamic, real relationship with God. Now, it's not just a confession. It's a real relationship, um, similar to that of a parent and a child. So every parent in this room, you get this intuitively. There is nothing your kids can do that will make you not love them. You will always love your children. No matter how messed up they are, no matter how bad they do, you you will love them. Your love is declared over them. And yet, there is a, a certain joy of fellowship with your children when they walk in obedience. There is a certain joy 
a delight that you have in them and they have in you when they are walking in obedience. In our house, we call that walking in the blessing of obedience or the circle of, uh, the circle of blessing. Uh, the circle of blessing. I think we got that from one of the trips, right? It's this place of just, you're obeying and it's just a delightful place. I'm happy. You're happy, which makes me happy. And you're happy. Everyone's happy. And walking with God is something like that. We are in a dynamic relationship with our Father where He could never stop loving us in Christ. He would never stop loving us, but there is a special enjoyment of fellowship with Him and delight in Him when we obey Him. Kids, I I know we've got some kids in this room, um, and so thank you for being here. All of you who could be downstairs, uh, thank you for being here. Um, I, I'm going to speak to you for just a minute, children, because you are here, and either you or your parents believe that there is a blessing for you in the preaching of God's Word. And so you sit here Sunday after Sunday through my really long sermons. God bless you. Thank you, kids, for sitting through my long sermons. And I know sometimes I'm a little funny, right? Sometimes? Maybe, all right. Good, your parents think so. Um, None of you are laughing, but sometimes I'm funny, and sometimes I talk about things that are really confusing. And so a good goal for you is to try to just get one thing that you can take out of a sermon. There's one thing you can think about or talk to your parents about. And so if that's you, here's one little thing you can take. Okay? The one little thing is, it gives your parents delight when you obey them. It makes your parents happy. And let's be honest, kids. Don't you like it better when your parents are happy than when they're angry? In first service, a couple kids were like, yes! Yeah, there it is. Who wants a grumpy mom and dad? No one wants a grumpy mom and dad. Happy mom and dads are good mom and dads because sometimes they want to give you candy or let you watch movies or play video games or all these fun and delightful things. When mom and dad are happy, they delight in blessing you. And one way you can make them happy is by obeying them. And the Bible says it will go well with you. And Christian... The same is true for you. The same is true for you. It should be your aim to please God. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 5.9, So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. There is a way in which we live where we can please God or displease God. It doesn't mean that we lose His love over our lives, but it does mean that we lose something of the enjoyment of His fellowship and gladness and blessing in our life. And so, by way of diagnostic questions again here this morning, let me ask you, have you felt far from God? Have you lacked a sense of His presence and His love and His assurance in your life? If so, ask yourself, are there areas or an area of your life not submitted to God? When we say, Jesus, you can have most of my life, you can have many areas of my life, but this one little area of my life, it's mine. 
Well, you know, it's amazing. No matter how much you give of your life, any of us who have lived with the Lord long enough knows, no matter how much of your life you can give to God, like, right, if you try to be objective and you think, like, I've given so much to the Lord, I've given this area of my life, this area, this, this area of my life, this area of my life, this area of my life, I've given so much to God. I know I could do better, but I've given so much to the Lord. And yet the Lord is just so good and kind that when there's that one little area that you've staked out as yours, he's just like, mm, I'm going to put my finger right there and keep it there. And that is the kindness of God, and that is the work of the Holy Spirit drawing us to himself, longing to manifest the presence and the love of God in our lives. Only we have to walk in obedience. All right, point number three, which we have to fly through. Okay, I'm going to have to make some cuts as we go. Um, The Spirit brings us into peace. All right, amen, we're done. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Not that much cutting. The Spirit brings us into peace. In verse 27, Jesus promises his disciples peace. I love this. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Jesus said this in preparation for what was to come. He would soon be betrayed. He would soon be arrested. He would soon be tried and crucified. There was, as I said earlier, storm clouds gathering on the horizon, and Jesus wanted to prepare his disciples for it. And so again, he said to them, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. When I depart, when I leave you, when I go to the cross and die, it gives all the, I'm going to come back for you. I'm going to come back. I'm going to send the helper. I'm telling you all this so that when it happens, you can believe these words. I'm leaving you my peace. And you know, whatever storm is hitting your life right now, like I, I want to be sensitive around this. Don't hear me say this the way I'm not trying to say it, but whatever hardship is in your life, it, it cannot be a darker storm cloud than the disciples endured when they saw the Savior crucified. And yet the Lord's desire and promise is to give us peace. That He knows. And He's in control. And there's peace for you in this. I love how Matthew Henry remarks, his comments are on this passage, he just said, when Christ was about to leave the world, he made his will. When you make a will before you die. His soul he committed to his father. His body he bequeathed to Joseph to be decently interred. His clothes fell to to the soldiers. His mother he left to the care of John. But what should he leave to his poor disciples that had left all for him? Silver and gold he had none but he left them that which was infinitely better, his peace. The peace that Jesus leaves with us can be considered in at least two ways. Uh, First, Jesus gives us peace with God, and second, he gives us peace, uh, he gives us the peace of God. So the peace with God, peace with God comes through our being justified by faith. Uh, Romans 5.1, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
this means through his death and resurrection, there's now no more war between us and God. We have been reconciled. And this is good news, because when the storms of life come our way, it helps us to remember these are not thrown at us by an angry God. These are not God trying to get us. This is not God saying, oh, I'm gonna show you. That is not God's heart with us anymore. We are at peace with him. He may be disciplining us, he may be growing us, but this is, his heart is not one of anger or frustration or an unreconciled um, desire to get us. No, Jesus has brought us peace with God, but the second way that he has brought us peace is, is not just the absence of that conflict, but the positive experience of the peace of God, such as Philippians 4, 7, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, there are different ways we can seek to experience the peace of God. Paul in Philippians 4 is talking about prayer as one of those ways that we seek the peace of God by casting our cares on God, reorienting ourselves toward the one who is in actual control and who cares for us. But another way, a major way, one that Jesus is highlighting here in John 14, is through the ministry of the Holy Spirit's work in Scripture. We see this because in verses 25 and 26, the two verses before the promise of peace, he says, these things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. And this was a particular reference to the disciples in his presence right there, that some of them would go on to write the New Testament inspired by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit would bring to their remembrance all that Jesus had taught and how to explain it to us. And so the Bible is a supernatural work of God by the Spirit, moving men along. And Jesus' emphasis here on the teaching ministry of the Spirit is that it would result in the inspired Scripture, it would result in the inspiration work of the Spirit in Scripture, and that the scripture would be one major way we experience or gain the peace of God, the peace that Jesus lives, leaves with us. Um, Psalm 119, 165, Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. Friends, it is the work of the Spirit that inspired scripture but it is also the work of the Spirit to this day, illuminating Scripture. Illuminating Scripture. Uh, we call this the gift of illumination, that He brings understanding. He guided the original disciples into the truth of Scripture, and He still guides disciples today into understanding of the truth. And this is why before we, um, we preach every Sunday during the pastoral prayer, the, the pastor always prays that the last thing, that there would be a, a, a blessing on the pastor who is preaching, and that the gift of illumination would be given to the, spirit, or to the congregation, that we would understand. And that's how we should approach Sunday morning sermons, and that's how we should approach our quiet times. Open for the Spirit to work. Needy for the Spirit. In his passage on this commentary, J.C. Ryle advises us, are we sensible of spiritual ignorance? And coming into the Bible, are you sensible of your own spiritual ignorance? Do we feel that at best we know in part and see in part? Do we desire to understand more clearly the doctrines of the gospel? Let us pray daily for the help of the teaching spirit. It is his office to illuminate the soul, to open the eyes of our understanding, and to guide us into all truth. He can make 
dark places light and rough places smooth. So friends, whatever storms are in your life or when the storm clouds do gather, let me exhort you to run to the word of God. Go to the the word of God. Bank on the promises of grace there. There is a peace that comes to you through God's word by his spirit that only his word and spirit can bring. Peace I give to you. My peace I give to you. All right, I'm going to close today. Um, I'm going to, oh, I'm skipping such great stuff here, Like, but let me close with this. I've shared this story with, with you before, but I think it, it aptly illustrates how I want to end. There was once a southern plantation owner who, when he died, left $50,000 to a former slave of his. And that former slave was told of the inheritance that he had received and that all that money, $50,000, which would be more than a million dollars in today's money, was deposited in the local bank. All he need to do is go withdraw anything he needs. Well, time went by and the slave, former slave never came and withdrew anything. And so after a while, the banker, concerned, confused, uh, went to check on the, um, the former slave and, and sat down and explained to him, do you realize you have $50,000, you have a fortune in the bank? And you can draw on it anytime you want. And the former slave thought about that and replied, well, do you think I could have 50 cents to buy a bag of cornmeal? The problem that the former slave had was he had no comprehension of how much money he had. He was completely ignorant of it. He had $50,000 and all he thought to ask for was 50 cents. And I wonder if many of us live the Christian life in relation to the Holy Spirit in much the same way. We have been given the helper the very Spirit of God. He is an apt helper, able to empower us to obedience, to manifest God's presence and love to us, to lead us into truth and into peace. But will we draw deeply from that account? Friends, you can never overdraw from that account. Try it, I dare you. You wanna take away? Try to outdraw the Holy Spirit. That's what Jace challenged me to. Try to draw more help from him than he's willing to give, and you will not be able to do it. Friends, I like to land there because I hope that you leave today, not with a sense of, oh my goodness, I have more and more and more to do, or man, I got to do that, but that you would leave today aware of how richly blessed you are by God through Christ. He has given you a spirit. Let's pray. Well, Father in heaven, we thank you for the gift of your son for salvation and your spirit for life and life eternal. God, your spirit alive in us is really, truly the life of Christ in us. And so we are amazed. We're amazed that you gave us your spirit, Lord. 
and pray that you would help us to eagerly, eagerly seek the active presence of God in our life every day. Lord, we pray, fill us, lead us, and help us. We invite your work in our life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We invite you to stand. We're going to take the Lord's Supper, uh, but as we do, I want to highlight the fact that uh, there are numerous times in the sermon today, at least two, where I called you to consider the conviction that the Spirit may be bringing in your life. Um, I did that. Hopefully he identified, you were sensitive to what he was identifying in your life. But then, you know, as sermons go, I had to plow ahead and keep on preaching. And so if you did not have a good chance to pray and respond with repentance and confession, coming to the table is that time and place to do that. Now is the time to begin to confess your sins to God and then to enjoy fellowship with him at his table through the death of his son, Jesus Christ. So whether you call this church your home or not, uh, if you are a Christian, you are welcome to join us at the table. Uh, If you are not a Christian or if you've not publicly confessed your faith through